Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the betters boxes at ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Monday, May 3rd. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Make sure you check out the daily article over at ATS.io to go along with all of our other outstanding content. I've got situational articles up for both the NBA and the NHL for you to check out. We'll have a golf preview for you for this week, NASCAR preview, UFC stuff, plenty of things going on here around the sports world. NBA and NHL regular seasons winding down as well. Got some coverage and some content for you over at the website to check out. Make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database, lots of great stuff for you to use that in that app. And of course, you can exclusively track my picks, although I'm not sure you really want to do that for this season, in that ATS app under my name, Skating Tripods. So I'm going to go ahead and dive right into today's show because I've got a lot of stuff to get to here on the program. We'll go with the traditional format here for the show. We'll start with the Beyond the Box score segment, Sabermetric stat of the day, talk about some line movements that we've seen here of late, give you a couple of picks for tonight's action, and then preview the week at, or the week, excuse me, ahead here with a few series to talk about. So let's go ahead and go Beyond the Box score here and Something I've talked about a lot here on the show, something I've talked a lot about in the daily article, and it may sound like sour grapes. It may sound like complaining, bitching, moaning, whatever about this really bad start to the season that I've had. But the fact of the matter is that this month of April was significantly different than the other months of April that we've seen here lately. And this is really frustrating thing for me as a baseball guy, as a fan and as a handicapper that... When you think about the other sports, the puck has not changed in hockey. A basketball doesn't really change. You know, a football doesn't really change. But the baseball, the thing that is used in each and every play, changes every single year. And it takes time to get up some sample size, kind of have an idea of what we're working with. And certainly there are some people out there that did some phenomenal work coming into the season kind of helping us know what to expect, but you still want to see how everything plays out. Here's how things played out in the month of April. When you look at April, 2021, and what I'm going to do here is compare April's year over year. Obviously there was no April for the 2020 season, but if we compare April year over year from 2017 to 2021, this 2021 season here collectively in April, Batters hitting 239, a 309 on base, 389 slugging percentage. That's a 306 weighted on base average, 873 home runs, a 24.4% strikeout rate, and an 8.9% walk rate. Now, if we go back to 2019, a 245 average, so 13 points higher than what we saw in 2021, 321 on base, 12 points higher, 421 slugging percentage the highest in the sample, and of course, more than 30 points higher than what we've seen here in 2021. There were 1,144 home runs hit in the month of April in 2019. Strikeout rate, 23.3%, walk rate, 9.2%. 2018, 244 average, 319 on base, 400 slugging. So 12 points higher in average, 10 points higher in on-base percentage, 11 points higher in slugging. And then April 2017, 247 average, 317 on base, 407 slugging. 
So 15 points higher in batting average, eight points in on-base percentage, and then what is that? 18 points higher in slugging percentage. So the power decrease is quite substantial. You know, we're talking about a sub 400 slugging percentage in the month of April for the first time in probably 30 plus years, if not the first time ever. I didn't go back and run that data all the way, but keep in mind that I talked about last week, the batting average is on track to be the lowest ever. And that will negatively impact slugging percentage because that's total bases divided by at-bats. So if guys aren't getting on base via hits, then obviously slugging percentage is going to lag behind quite a bit. Now, 873 home runs in the month of April this year, that's kind of on par with 2017 where we had 863. But with the launch angle generation, with kind of the things that have happened in terms of hitting philosophies, the idea that we're at the same place that we were four years ago is really telling to me. And also, strikeout percentages continue to increase at a pretty similar rate year over year. We're going to set another record with strikeout rates so for, uh, for this season. And also, too, something else is that the walk rate has gone down closer to 2017, where, again, pitchers could pitch to contact without as much negative recourse. So basically, we're seeing this year kind of play out a lot more like 2017, at least as far as a recent frame of reference. But I want to look at some of the stat cast metrics here and kind of dig in a little bit deeper. So April 2021 here, the batting average is 232. But the expected batting average, based on the batted ball data, the batted ball type, exit velocity, launch angle, so on and so forth, the expected batting average is 248. So an actual batting average of 232 in the month of April, but an expected batting average of 248. Here's the thing that's really interesting to me. Expected batting average of April 2017 was 246, 242 for 2018, 242 for 2019. So what we saw in April here is the highest expected batting average in at least the last four Aprils for Major League Baseball, but a 232 actual batting average. So a 16-point difference, whereas the other three years in this sample a difference of three points in 2019, two points in 2018, one point in 2017. Now, some of this probably has to do with the fact that they will need to recalibrate the expected data because 2021 is a different kind of animal. But when we look at expected slugging percentage relative to actual slugging percentage, the expected slugging percentage this year is 433 but the actual per stat cast 389 in 2019, it was a 421 slugging with an expected slugging of 424, a 10 point difference in 2018 and eight point difference in 2017. So all of this points us to the baseball is dramatically different. And we have a lot of definitive data at this point in time that can tell us that. And what's really frustrating for me, and I kind of talked about this last week on a couple of appearances and, and probably on the own on my own podcast here, is that everything I did coming into this season, all the research that I did, before we got an idea of what was going to happen with the baseball and spring training, all of it is out the window now. None of it matters. And we're a month into the season. I think the highest games played for a team is 29. 
So we're 29 games at most into a 162 game season. And basically none of the preseason prep work that I've done is applicable anymore at this point in time, because the game has fundamentally changed with what they've done to the baseball. And it is frustrating. It is discouraging. It downright pisses me off that the game can change that much from one year to the next. And look, you know, the impact of the baseball and shifting and defensive scouting reports, the decreased drag, allowing guys to get to the ball quicker, balls slowing down faster on their way to fielders. It is a a very frustrating thing to try and figure out, you know, what this means for everybody. And in theory, elite pitchers should be even better because the rare mistakes that they make probably aren't going to be as detrimental as impactful. But it also means that guys that generally suck should improve quite significantly. And to that end, guys with low strikeout rates that I've often looked at as a negative because they just allow too many balls in play and bad things happen with balls in play. Well, fewer bad things are happening with balls in play this year. So pitchers that aren't very good or have really low strikeout rates, they're actually in better positions to succeed this season than they have been in the past. And that is a very difficult mental hurdle for me to get over. If I'm looking at a guy who's got a 475 or a 5 ERA or something like that, you know, over the last few seasons, well, this year he's going to be better because across the board, everybody's better. But the degree to which that guy gets better is a complete and utter unknown. You know, you think about guys, for example, that give up a lot of home runs, right? And those are guys I typically want to fade, want to play against, want to stay away from something like that. Well, average batted ball distance this year is down, or at least in the month of April, was down four feet from 2020. Okay, maybe that doesn't sound like a lot, but down 12 feet from 2019. And fly ball percentage pretty consistent in that span. So this is where the increased drag is really hurting the baseball. Batting average on balls in play down to 284. We're on pace for one of the lowest ones ever in that department. It's hard enough to handicap baseball, but these significant and substantial changes just make it that much tougher. And like I said, now we're running into a situation where guys that aren't very good are probably going to be better than they have been in the past. To what end? I don't know, but it's very, very hard right now to to try and handicap this game in the way that I do. You know, and the stats even, can be rather misleading, especially if you're comparing stats year over year. And the nice thing is there are some stats that are, you know, league and park adjusted and adjusted year over year and all of that. Woba run values are going to be changing here based on the lower run environment and all those different types of things. But that's where it takes time for the sample size to really settle in. We know what we're working with, but are the numbers painting the exact picture for these individual hitters and pitchers that's where it gets a little bit difficult. I can tell you overall how the the rest of this baseball season is going to go. What has happened with all of the changes and what we can expect to see from a lot of teams. But on an individual level, that's even more difficult, I think, to pinpoint this year than it has been a lot of past years 
because a lot of my handicapping is predicated on projection. You know, it's predicated on taking a look at and interpreting the data and trying to figure out what's going to happen in that game. Well, right now, by and large, I don't know. It's a very helpless feeling, to say the least. It is very discouraging to get up and try to look at the card and try to find some spots that make sense here, full knowing that everything as we knew it is completely different. And let's keep going with that theme. Because one of the things that I've talked about a lot here so far is that we've got this low-scoring run environment. Scoring is absolutely down. And as a result, totals are down in the betting market. You know, and unders are still doing very well, but a lot of totals have been adjusted down a run or a full run or are getting bet down by that much, something like that. So when we look at this regression of offense across the board, it has greatly impacted performance with runners in scoring position as well. So when I look at performance with runners in scoring position here, 242 average, 335 on base, 401 slugging percentage, we're talking about numbers that in the past would have been league average types of offensive numbers. And usually with men in scoring position, the hitters have the advantage. Performance with runners in scoring position will almost always be better than the overall offensive performance. The reason why is because, you know, pitchers have all the pressure. They're pitching from the stretch instead of the windup. Uh, you know, fielders are kind of holding guys on. They're playing with different defensive alignments, all those kinds of things. So, Performance with scoring runners in scoring position is often quite a bit higher than overall performance. But this year, while it is higher, the 242, 335, 401 slash is almost like a, an average offensive season any other year. And when you compare it year over year, we're down 14 points in batting average, 10 points in on base, 28 points in slugging from 2020. We're down 20 points in batting average, 10 points in on base. 42 points in slugging from 2019. We're down 12 points in average, four points in on base, 13 points in slugging from 2018. So again, a big, huge decrease in both batting average and slugging percentage. The strikeout rate over a full percent higher at 23.5% than any of the other seasons in this sample. The BABIP is nine points lower than it was last year seven points lower than in 2018. So offense is down absolutely across the board. And what additionally makes this difficult is that now you're running into a situation where the number of opportunities has decreased with men in scoring position, but also because of all these changes, even the bad pitchers can have some measure of success. So it's just a very high variance environment here because of a smaller number of chances and because these pitchers are faring better than they otherwise would have in previous seasons, whether they're good or bad. So it's almost a crapshoot. It's almost like throwing darts to me right now based on the data that I'm seeing. So the people that are out there having success with this baseball season, I mean, first of all, congratulations. But second, they're probably not doing the deep dive into the data that I am. It's probably a less quantitative handicap and a more qualitative handicap. And maybe that's the way that you need to go, especially early on in the season where, you know, so many things just kind of have to settle in. And look, when we talk about the variance level of this environment, if you want to think that I'm just making shit up because I'm off to a tough start this season, that's fine. 
But when you look at how well underdogs have done, and April is typically a good underdog month in terms of showing a profit, but we went deep into the month of April with underdogs having won more games than favorites, not just cashing, you know, at a higher, uh, at a high enough rate to turn a profit or something like that. Underdogs were winning games outright more often than they were losing them. And that just speaks to what we've seen here so far with this Major League Baseball season. So one of the numbers that I ran here today, looking at some splits over at Baseball Reference, along with this lower performance with runners in scoring position, we're simply seeing fewer chances. Again, the batting average is very low. The strikeout rate continues to set a new record year after year. So there have been 412 Major League Baseball games played so far here this season, 7,537 plate appearances with a runner in scoring position. So we are averaging 18.29 plate appearances with a runner in scoring position per game. That seems like a lot, right? Over 18 plate appearances per game with a runner in scoring position. But last year, over 898 Major League Baseball games, 16,760 plate appearances, an average of 18.66 plate appearances with a runner in scoring position. And if we go back to 2019, over 2,429 games, we averaged 18.73 plate appearances with a runner in scoring position. So basically, relative to 2019 and 2020, we are seeing a lot fewer plate appearances with a runner in scoring position, almost half a plate appearance lower per game with a runner in scoring position relative to 2019. Now, okay, maybe that doesn't seem like a lot, but we're talking about 1,200 fewer plate appearances with a runner in scoring position over the course of a full season if this pace continues. And remember, not only are we seeing fewer chances, but also less offensive production with runners in scoring position. So that's another reason why bad pitchers, below average pitchers, have the chance at more success than they have in previous years. You know, with the elite guys, they don't allow a lot of these anyway. So it's really subject to, you know, a lot of small sample size variants with them to begin with because they just don't allow a lot of them. But the guys that allow a lot all of the sudden can pitch around them, may have higher left on base percentages this season or something like that. And look, even if you're not well-versed in the advanced metrics here, Let's just look at ERA by year. 451 in 20 or uh, yeah, 451 in 2019. 445 in 2020. In 2021, 405. The league average ERA is down 0.4 runs from last year and 0.46 runs from 2 years ago. So even if you don't believe in the advanced metrics, don't have any idea what I'm talking about, the league-wide ERA is down substantially because it's harder to hit. It's harder to get hits. It's harder to get hits with men in scoring position. And you're getting fewer chances with men in scoring position. So this has been uh, such a unique season to this point. And the elites are still the elites. And then they're still out there taking money in the betting markets and all of that. But guys that have been hampered by bad home run numbers, to me, have gotten the biggest boost this season. And usually, I fade guys that allow a lot of home runs. I fade guys that give up a lot of fly balls. But this year, it's not really that big of a deal. 
The league slugging percentage on fly balls this year, according to fan graphs, is 702. It was 756 last year, 788 in 2019. So pitching to fly ball contact isn't nearly as bad this year as it's been in the past. So a lot of the pitcher profiles that I put together, a lot of the guys I think about coming into the season, it just hasn't worked. Batting average on fly balls at 229, the lowest since 2011. I mean, all of these things, we're just setting new offensive lows across the board. The game is fundamentally different right now. And it has negatively impacted my handicapping, both in terms of analyzing the data, but also on the mental side where it just feels like I could flip a coin and do better. You know, I could bother somebody walking their dog past my house and ask them what they think about a game and do better. But here's the thing. Now we know. We have a month's worth of data. Now we know. So what are the adjustments that I make to my handicapping process? What do I do differently from this point forward to dig myself out of this massive hole that I've dug myself into so far? Down double-digit units in the month of April. What do I do? How do I change my process? How do I change what's important to me? And those are questions that I have to answer. I just laid out a lot of the data. Hitting fly balls doesn't mean as much as it used to. So I like to focus on fly ball offenses, guys that hit doubles and home runs. Well, that's not happening to the same degree. So I need to reevaluate those teams. I need to reevaluate the bad pitchers with the home run problems because those aren't as detrimental as they were recently. So a lot of things that I have to adjust in my handicapping process. And the, 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 maybe the most frustrating thing of all is I have to reinvent the wheel for myself for the next five months. And in 2022, I have no idea what's going to happen. You know, we'll be post-CBA negotiations if there's not a strike or a labor uh, stoppage. Do we have a baseball that's in between? Do we all of a sudden go back to 2019 because offense sucks and the game's gotten boring? I I don't know. You know, and, and, and it makes it really frustrating going into a season not knowing what's going to take place. So we know for this year, and so I'll change my process for that, but going forward, Next year will be different than 2021. 2023 will be different than all of these years. You know, so it's uh, it's something that keeps me awake at night, to be totally honest with you, you know, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what I can do differently here in the short term, what I can do differently in the long term, but rest assured I'm looking and I'm trying to figure it out and trying to analyze and wrap my head around this data and see, you know, what I wind up coming up with here as far as the month of May goes, and down the line as well. So last week, I talked about some play on teams and some play against teams. And today, I want to talk about base runs. And I'll go ahead and make this the sabermetric stat of the day. Base runs you can find over on the Fangraph standings page. What this is, is it's a context-neutral standings metric. It's based on run differential, and then Pythagorean win-loss is applied. So what context neutral means is that it just throws all of the outcomes into a hopper. 
every walk, every single, every strikeout, every ground out, every pop out, every home run, just throws them all together. No context. Doesn't matter who hits the home run, how many outs there were, what inning it was in, were there men on base, off the pitcher, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what happened. All it does is throw those individual outcomes together without sequencing, without context, to spit out runs scored per game and runs allowed per game. And when it gets those two numbers, then it uses Pythagorean win-loss to put together a record. Now, why would you do this? Why would you take context out of the equation? Why would you take sequencing out of the equation? Because of that concept that I've talked about before, known as cluster luck. Teams will get lucky. Teams will get unlucky in high leverage situations with runners in scoring position, all of that. Sometimes things will work out. Sometimes things won't work out. You know, and and sequencing by and large does determine a lot of games. You know, I just talked about it. What invariably is going to happen as the number of plate appearances with runners in scoring position goes down, the gap between teams will probably go down as well. So then you're just going to run into, did one team capitalize on those opportunities? Did the other team? Did neither team? Did both teams? Well, that usually dictates a game. So, you know, it's kind of a difficult concept to wrap your head around. But what base runs does is look at where a team should probably be given an average amount of luck. So for example, the Twins, the Minnesota Twins, 10 and 16 on the season here so far with a plus three run differential. According to base runs, they are four games behind where they should be. They should be a 14 and 12 team based on their base runs numbers, but they are actually a 10 and 16 team. So usually we see teams that have cluster luck one way or the other, either with runners in scoring position or pitching in that situation, or teams that are doing poorly in one-run games. So those are the two things you can kind of look at here with base runs. And again, expect some level of regression to the mean. Take the Yankees, for example, 14 and 14 on the year, but they are plus 14 in run differential. According to base runs, they should be 17 and 11. Offensively, they have struggled much worse than they probably should. So the Twins and the Yankees, two teams that look like they should be better from a win-loss standpoint than they actually are. The Mets are 11-11. and 11. They have a negative 12 run differential. But according to base runs, they should be 14-9. and nine. How do you get to that point? Well, they've done very poorly with men in scoring position. And they've given up a lot of hits and a lot of runs with men in scoring position for the other team. So their cluster luck is a negative both ways. And it has impacted their ability to win games. So base runs doesn't take any of that into the equation. It just says, well, this team should be better. Then you look at the reason why. And the reason why is because with runners in scoring position, they've had negative cluster luck both ways. The Marlins, 11 and 16 here. Base runs says they should be 14 and 13. They're a team that's five games under 500 with a positive run differential at plus four. So, Just some indicators of some teams that could be in line for some positive regression here with the Twins, the Yankees, the Mets, and Marlins, looking at it in the context of the base runs standings metric. How about some negative regression teams here? The Royals. I've talked about the Royals a lot as a fade team, the market fading them here today. But the Royals are 16 and 10 with a minus three run differential. 
according to base runs, they should be 12 and 14. And last week I talked about them as well. Their WOBA minus X WOBA discrepancy on the pitching side was the biggest in baseball. So they've gotten very lucky defensively with their balls in play. Presumably they've gotten lucky in higher leverage spots defensively with their balls in play. So the Royals are a fade team at this point in time in the market is fading them here today. The A's are 17 and 12, but they have a negative run differential. Base run says they should be 13 and 16. And the Brewers at 17 and 11, they're minus one in run differential. Base run says they should be 14 and 14. However, this is one I'd be wary of fading because Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain coming back here this week for the Brewers and hopefully coming back here today. But again, this is over at Fangraphs on the standings page. Base runs will be a catalyst for some line moves here as this season goes along. So that will be something for you to keep in mind. All right, so the down the line segment here, we take a look at some line moves dating back to last Friday here and the Pirates. We saw money on the Pirates and JT Brubaker against John Gant and the Cardinals. I was on the first five for that one. That was a loser. Had several of those over the weekend. Uh, But the sentiment is there. The market likes JT Brubaker quite a bit. He's about the only pirate that the market will consistently and confidently back. But as always, run support, the big question for him. Didn't pitch great, uh, but I believe the Pirates only scored one run for him in that game. As I mentioned, the Mets. The Mets are a play-on team right now. They are very much a positive regression team, and they did take money on Friday. That was Marcus Stroman against Chase Anderson. Lost that game in a big favorite role in the minus 165 range. But expect the Mets to take a lot of money here as we go forward. They do have that negative run differential, but base runs likes them, and also their cluster luck does show signs of improvement. Pablo Lopez and the Marlins took money on Friday against John Lester, coming back off the COVID-19 list for the Nationals. Not a big Nationals guy, as you know. Not surprised to see that Pablo Lopez money there in that one, but Lester and the Nationals did come away with the win. We saw a big Garrett Cole move on Friday for the Yankees against the Detroit Tigers. Not that that's surprising, but the Tigers are basically getting faded almost no matter what the line is here at this point in time. They are a very bad team. They are a very bad offensive team. Uh, The bullpen is not particularly good. A lot of people lining up to fade the Tigers right now, and they've had a lot of success with doing that. I talk about this all the time, but sometimes it's the line moves that you don't see that stand out. And one on Friday for me, and I missed out on a winner here with the Indians because I'm a, can't say it, but you know the word I'm looking for here. Uh, Shane Bieber did not take money on Friday. And I've talked about this before in a lot of cases that aces take money no matter what. Doesn't matter who they're facing, doesn't matter what the matchup is, unless it's ace versus ace, aces are taking money. Shane Bieber didn't take money on Friday against Dallas Keiko and the White Sox. And this was an indicator to me of the market perception of the Indians offense. Nobody believes in the Indians offense. And we even saw it furthermore on Saturday in the Tristan McKenzie Lance Lynn game, where I did take a gamble on the Indians. McKenzie was terrible, but the market perception of the Indians is very low right now. And if the offense gets going, starts living up to some of those expected metrics, they could be a play on team right now. I, you know, we see the market playing them tonight. I'm not really going to go load up on the tribe at any time, you know, at any point in time here soon. But 
the fact that we didn't see that Bieber money on Friday was really indicative to me of where the market sits on this Indians team. Uh, we'll see where the market sits on the White Sox. Now that Luis Robert out for uh, a little while here after injuring his leg in that series over the weekend, uh, the White Sox are missing some key pieces in that offense. Giolito has not pitched as well as he has in the past. So kind of curious to see what market perception is of the White Sox as we go forward here. Saturday, we saw Jamison tie on money. That was against Spencer Turnbull and the Tigers. Again, a fade of the Detroit Tigers. I played the under there, liked that one, gave it out in the article. Of course, it didn't work out, but uh, tie on and Turnbull, two play on guys for me as we go forward here. Saturday, we saw some pretty big twins money. That was a fade of Danny Duffy. Danny Duffy with an 0-39 ERA going into that start, winds up being the winner there over the twins. And Matt Shoemaker, who took the Twitter after the game to talk about how poorly he's pitching. Uh, So hopefully he's able to figure things out. But on Saturday and and Sunday and on Monday, and even looking ahead here this week, lots of blanks on the pitching board. I'll talk about that in a little bit, but make sure if you're betting games that you are selecting that the listed pitchers must start. Do not just pick action because we're getting scratches. We're getting teams shuffling around their rotations and all of that. Action will lock you into the game at that price. And you do not want that if you've handicapped the game based on certain starting pitchers. So always check the box or go in the drop-down menu and make sure that listed pitchers are selected in every game that you handicap. Sunday, we saw Tyler Mayo money come in for the Reds against Trevor Williams and the Cubs. The market absolutely loves Tyler Mayo. Hard to argue with that sentiment with how he's pitched here so far. We did actually see money against the Mets on Sunday. That was Zach Eflin on the bump for the Phillies. Uh, The Mets did win that game. Uh, Strange shenanigans at the end of that one, as we all saw. Uh, But there was Zach Eflin money in that one. Probably a fade of David Peterson, who was facing the Phillies for the third time already uh, for this season. We didn't see Corey Kluber money for the Yankees against the Tigers on Sunday. He was exceptional. But we didn't see the money there. So the market's still a little bit unsure about the Klubot at this point in time. But he was great. And the Yankees did come away with that win. Lastly, Twins money on Sunday. Jose Barrios against the Royals. Perfect storm there. Twins are a positive regression team. Royals a negative regression team. So we saw pretty significant money come in on Barrios and the Twins in that one. As far as Monday goes, I disagree with the move on the Phillies. I like the Brewers here today. Uh, Hopefully, Yelich and Kane do come back for today's game, but that's a pick for me. Kind of like the fade teams coming off of Sunday Night Baseball, especially if it's kind of an emotional game, and it definitely was one of those for the Phillies on Sunday night, so I do like the Brewers here tonight. Speaking of line moves, heavy Walker Bueller money on the Dodgers against the Cubs. That's a fade of Kyle Hendricks. That's also a pick in the article looking at the Dodgers' run line. can play the money line if you want to lay the big number, but... There's something wrong with Kyle Hendricks. Velocity's down, spin rates are down, command and control are both down. He's not healthy. I'd expect an injured list stint here pretty soon. Um, nothing against him, but hopefully it continues uh, for today. Seeing Herman Marquez money in a fade of Aaron Sanchez. That's the Giants, the first place. San Francisco Giants, by the way. And the Colorado Rockies in Denver. Can't argue with that one. Not a big Sanchez guy, but you know it is tough to back the Rockies at this point in time. I mentioned this already, the Indians and Aaron Savale taking money today against Daniel Lynch, making his MLB debut, and the Kansas City Royals. I like the under in that one. Uh, That was eight and a half here this morning. 
So we'll see if that one plays out. A little bit of Tyler Glass style money came in on the Rays against Shohei Otani and the Angels. This is one where maybe it's just some action bets because Otani got hit in the elbow by a pitch on Sunday. Maybe not making the start. If he doesn't make the start, Glass now is not minus 115 against Jose Quintana or the Angels bullpen or something like that. So maybe some speculative money on Glass now and the Rays taking action there, uh, just assuming that Otani may not make that start. And if he doesn't, you probably got 25, 30, maybe even 40 cents of free money on Tyler Glass now in that one. And then lastly, I'm expecting some Baltimore money here today against Daniel or, uh, with uh, Dean Kramer on the mound against Eric Sampsonite, or excuse me, Swanson uh, in that one for the, Mar- for the Mariners. So I expect some Baltimore money to come in throughout the day. We'll see if that happens. Went over lots of stuff here on today's show. If you want the betters box notes, hit me up via email, skatingtripods at gmail.com. Again, sometimes I just use this show as my platform, as my sounding board, as my bitch fest, my therapy session. But I think all of this stuff is important at the top of today's show. Talking about the offensive environment, nobody can say it's still early or any of that bullshit. The game is different. The ball is different. Everything is fundamentally different. Fly ball pitchers will not be hurt as much as they've been in the past. Guys that with, with high home run rates will not be hurt as much as they have been in the past. Guys with high walk rates are going to start pitching to contact because it's not as detrimental as it's been in past seasons. All of this stuff matters when you're handicapping the games. I think all of it was very important to talk about on today's show. So again, if you want to be on the list for the show notes, skatingtripods at gmail.com. As we preview the week ahead here, the Blue Jays and the A's fire up a series. This is kind of anecdotal. I didn't run the data, but I've seen this year in and year out where AL East teams go to Oakland and play really poorly. And I've seen it with the AL Central too, with the Indians and the Twins, uh, the Royals when they were good. It's a tough place to go and play. Nothing against the city of Oakland or the ballpark or anything like that, but Visiting teams don't like it. The facilities are subpar. You know, things flood in the clubhouse. Uh, you know, there's there's not a whole lot going on around the ballpark. And usually, too, when you're going out to Oakland for a series, you're playing in Anaheim. You're playing in Seattle. You're playing in some of these destination cities that players really like to go to for a variety of different reasons. And, of course, COVID makes it a little bit different. But, you know, teams just go to Oakland and they don't play well. And so that's something that you want to kind of follow with these teams that make long trips out there from the AL East or the AL Central or something like that. But you got Steven Matz and Frankie Montas tonight to be determined for the Blue Jays tomorrow and Cole Irvin for the A's. Robbie Ray, Chris Bassett on Wednesday to be determined and Mike Fires on Thursday. That should set up for Hunjin Ryu to come off of the IL. So it's probably going to be Ryu and Fires on Thursday. Oakland getting three lefties in this series. We've seen Oakland take money against left-handed starting pitchers for the last several years, taking a little bit of money here today in this Mats and Montas matchup where Montas has an ERA over six. Maybe has something to do with that left-handed pitcher angle, but that is something for you to follow in this series here. Astros and Yankees, this one starts up on Tuesday. Zach Greinke, Domingo Herman, Luis Garcia, Jordan Montgomery, Lance McCullers, and Garrett Cole. Good getaway day game here on Thursday. Talked about it already. The Yankees are a positive regression team. We'll see if it happens in this series against Houston, 
who I also think is something of a positive regression team. But that'll be an interesting series to follow, to be sure. And lastly here, the Braves and the Nationals, Huascar Enoa and Joe Ross on Tuesday, Max Freed off the DL, and Eric Fetty on Wednesday, Drew Smiley and John Lester on Thursday. Quite a few dudes I'm looking to fade in this series. I'm not a John Lester guy. I will probably look to bet on Atlanta on Thursday, but it all depends on what the price looks like there with Drew Smiley. Not a Joe Ross guy, not an Eric Fetty guy, but with Freed coming off the IL, his first start in I think about three and a half weeks, not sure I can take Atlanta laying a big price in that middle game, maybe an over consideration for me, uh, looking to fade Fetty that way. It's also important too, you know, while I don't do these because I can't track them in the app, look at team totals. Look at betting team totals, look at strikeout props, all those kinds of things. Those are maybe a little bit more projectable this year. Uh, you know, because of the nature of the game, uh, fewer chances with men in scoring position, all that kind of thing, harder to get hits, stuff like that. Look at those strikeout props. Look at those team totals. Maybe those are the ways that you want to look to go here at this point in time. But the last thing I want to mention here, tons of pitchers, lots of bullpen arms, lots of starters going on the injured list in the last week. Since April 25th, 42 new players placed on the injured list 29 of them pitchers, some catchers as well. So that could impact the pitching side also. But lots of soft tissue injuries, lots of strains. Uh, You know, maybe some teams kind of stealing rest for some pitchers, stuff like that. But this will continue happening as this season goes along. Lots of injuries. The Padres are using their 22nd pitcher of the season tonight. I think they played like 28 games. They're using their 22nd pitcher of the season tonight. So keep that in mind. Follow along with those injuries. Make sure the bullpens are intact. Look at bullpen usage. Very, very important here at this time of the year. And it's very important every season, but especially now coming off of that 60-game sample and, you know, pitcher injuries, teams taking it easy with pitchers, stuff like that. Absolutely positively something that you want to keep a very, very close eye on, to say the least. Coming up on Tuesday, we'll chat with Brian Blessing. We'll talk some horse racing, recap the Kentucky Derby. We'll talk golf. We'll talk NASCAR, talk NHL with the final week of the regular season. So we'll do that on Tuesday. Then I'll be back again on Thursday with another edition of the Betters Box. Skeetingtripods at gmail.com. If you want to be on the list for the notes, I think it's a good idea. I talk about a lot of things on this show. So you can listen back, follow along, study the notes, whatever. But skeetingtripods at gmail.com to get on that list that'll do it for me thank you so much for listening everybody and remember that you'll never strike out when you're in the betters box